Okay, well, have, a, have your Bible open in front of you. That will be wonderful to Acts chapter 2. I, as Michelle said at the start of the service, um, I, I, like I'm, you know, it's, it's appalling weather outside, isn't it? It's appalling. But we're here, and I'm really encouraged you're here. So thank you for, for being here. Um, it's great. You, you had a choice to make as you looked outside this afternoon, and you made the right choice, a choice that I, for one, are encouraged by. Um, this morning, actually over the weekend, I spent some time with some uh, uh, very dear old friends. Um, some of you know I go away with a group of old friends um, every June long weekend. We couldn't do it this year, so the dads decided to get together, and it was this weekend we decided to get together. And so we were down at Milton, and it's been a bit wet down there. We're on a farm in Milton, this friend's farm, and um, uh, yeah, wow, we had heaps of water. So when it come to, came to leaving at six o'clock this morning, which I needed to do to get to here on time, um, I, I, and I had my four drive, I drove down the driveway, which is a long sort of track, you know, dirt track, and lo and behold, there was a ravine to cross that was probably that wide and about that deep. And I'm just not, I, I, you know, I thought about going for it, but I decided I wouldn't do that. Um, I would have got stuck, wouldn't have made it. So what I had to do, I had to go around all the paddocks, go through gates and all the rest of it, and then do a nice water crossing. You would have loved it, Dave. Um, uh, the water was about that deep, so it's deep enough to get close to the top of the bonnet. Over we went, through the water crossing, and finally made it out, and then dodged all the trees that were down and... and uh, it really, yeah, <laughs> that's true. I, I did do the water crossing the day before for a bit of fun, so I knew it was there. Uh, but um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's good to be here. We've had a, had a good day in God's Word today. The few of us are, a few people who are, um, are sick, and so they're doing the right thing, staying away. Thank you for those people. They, they might watch the video later on. Um, anyway, so let's have a look at this, this part of the Bible, Acts chapter 2, a uh, very well-known part of the Bible, quite um, famous even, I guess you could say. And very interesting, I hope. I'm going to pray for us, and then uh, we will continue on. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. We thank you that, uh, Lord, you're a good God. We thank you for church and the privileges to gather together. We do pray for those um, in our church community who are not feeling well. We pray that you'd be with them tonight. And Lord, especially tonight, we pray um, uh, Jane Wilson, she's in hospital, um, she is not well, and we pray for her. I ask, Lord, that you'd be healing her. Um, and we pray uh, for Jim, uh, Jim Senior, and then also for Jim and Kristen, and, uh, and uh, the rest of the family too, wider family as well. Um, we pray that you'd be with them and comfort them. But now, Lord, we pray that as we open your word, uh, you would be t- speaking to us, and we'd be listening and putting your words into practice. Thank you for church this, uh, this evening, in Jesus' name, Amen. So a number of years ago, I was um, uh, getting to know an Iranian family and uh, a church, and they had all become Christians. And so, in fact, I was the one who got to baptise them, which was pretty cool. So they had adult children, uh, older teenage children and a sort of adult children as well. It's an extraordinary story of God's grace, there's no doubt about it. A great story... Um, and it was a real treat to share the gospel with them, talk to them about Jesus for the first time, uh, baptising them, baptizing them as well. Um, they were converted. It was wonderful uh, to teach them, encourage them. Now, they too were very appreciative of me. It's quite lovely, actually, in a very Middle Eastern way. And they were, they were actually a little bit over the top 
in their affection towards me. Uh, we love you, Pastor Graham, they called me. Um, thank you for caring for us. Uh, thank you for encouraging us. And, 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 and as they went on, uh, it was getting a little bit awkward after a while as well. Uh, there was a lot of hugging and kissing going on. Now, if you know me, I'm, I'm, not, I'm generally not the person to hug and kiss a lot of people. I choose my hugging and kissing people very carefully. Uh, <laughs> but after one sermon, well, I was actually brought back down to earth a little bit. Once again, they expressed their love and their thanks. Wonderful. I got a hug and a kiss. They, loved, they really did. It was, it was wonderful. I, wanna, I don't want to complain. But then they said this to me. They said, thank you for your sermons, Pastor Graham. I can't do an Iranian accent. Very difficult accent to do. Uh, thank you for your sermons, Pastor Graham. We love them. But we cannot understand what you're saying. <laughs> so after all this, they couldn't understand what I'm saying. They just liked me. Anyway, they went on to explain that my Australian accent was just a little bit hard to follow, that I spoke too fast. Um, and it was actually a really helpful thing for me to hear very early on in those, in those days working overseas. <laughs> so what they really needed was not an, Austra not an Aussie, but what they really needed was an Iranian speaking Farsi. That's what they needed. Uh, someone speaking in their language so they could understand, so they could declare the wonders of God in their own tongue. That's what they needed. The, the uh, Wycliffe Bible, uh, the founder of Wycliffe Bible Translated once, once said, the, the greatest missionary is the Bible in the mother tongue. The greatest missionary is the Bible in the mother tongue. It's a good line, isn't it? It's true. It's true. So we can understand. Now today, we're going uh, to read this remarkable day in the history of the Christian church. Remarkable day. We're actually going to spend two weeks on chapter 2, but most of next week is on the end of chapter 2. It's a great little part of the Bible as well. This remarkable day, the word of God was heard. It was heard by everyone. It was heard from Asians to Arabs to Romans to Egyptians. They heard the word of God and they were amazed and many people accepted Jesus, about 3,000, and the church began. So, day one. Now, you can debate amongst yourselves whether this day should be considered the birthday of the church but it makes for a good heading, so I'm going to use it. That's heading number one. That's the first point we're going to look at as we see what happened on that day. If you've got your outline there, you can follow along as well. It was the day, the day of Pentecost. It's actually a Jewish festival. I've been around for a long time. The Jewish festival of Pentecost, uh, Pente, meaning 50, occurred 50 days after the Passover. Now, originally the festival was a celebration of the end of the harvest. So we finally got to the end of the harvest. Let's celebrate that sort of thing. But over time, it started to become a... Uh, well, it, it started to become another celebration of the redemption of God's people out of Egypt. It's it, almost like a, a Passover after party, if that helps. Um, so Jerusalem swelled in population from 50,000 people to around 250,000 people. Jews from everywhere, all around the place, gathered into Jerusalem. It was a big, big festival. Lots and lots of people from all different types of places. They came to the city. There was even some Gentiles too, some hangers-on, I guess you could say, uh, just keen for a sticky beak. Now, last week, we remember, we found these 120 believers in Jerusalem. 
And remember what they were doing? They were, they were faithfully praying and waiting, waiting for God's Spirit to be given, as was promised. So, let's pick things up of chapter, in chapter 2, verse 2. So, if you've got a Bible, have it open. If you don't have a Bible, don't forget to bring one. It's much, much easier to follow along if you've got a Bible in front of you. All right? Verse 2, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, the sound of, of wind and fire, you might think, well, we know what the sound of wind sounds like. Actually, if you've been you know, close to a bushfire, a little bit of a tangent for a minute, um, where I stayed over the weekend, the, the, those huge fires um, in, early in the year in January came right to their, my friend's house in Milton. And he talked a lot about the sound. He was there fighting back the fire himself. Um, I wanted to go, but I couldn't actually get there. Uh, <laughs> But uh, the sound of the fire, it, it was just incredible, like a steam train. Well, sort of mentioned here, but it's not a new thing in the Bible. Fire and wind representing God's presence, God visiting his people. So an uh, example, of course, is in Ex uh, Exodus chapter 3 with the burning bush. It represented uh, God's presence. The bush wasn't burning, but we won't get into that right now. Uh, it represented God's presence with Moses, with his people. And, uh, and there's the pillar of fire that the, the Israelites followed as they escaped out of Egypt. So it represented the presence of God. It confirmed a visit from God. So it wasn't particularly new. So here, here we are, this incredible day. This is the day that, that Jesus told them to wait for. This is the day that John the Baptist said Jesus would do, that he would baptise them with the Holy Spirit and with fire. It was now happening. It, it's on. This was the day. But the difference between those Old Testament occurrences and this one is significant. Because in the Old Testament, this gift, of the, the coming of the Spirit or, or God's presence with his people was a corporate or a collective gift. But here it's individual. Did you notice the end of chapter th uh, verse 3? An individual received the Spirit. What seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and it came to rest on each of them. See, friends, from that day to today, God's word's clear. There's no favoritism. God doesn't discriminate when it comes to the gift of the Spirit. Men, women, children, boy, girl, apostle, or just bog-standard pew warmer can receive the Spirit. Anyone can receive the Spirit. Well, the 120 are filled with the Spirit and they begin to speak in tongues. But the tongues they spoke in were not their own. Uh, nor were they unintelligible. They were languages, different languages from different countries. Now, why? why? Why is that? Well, again, it was a confirmation, wasn't it? A confirmation, a miraculous sign that the Spirit is a gift to all types of people from all places. Remember, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Well... Verse 6, when they, and, and, and I think that's referring to God, these, this God-fearing Jews that I mentioned in verse uh, 4 and 5. Uh, God-fearing Jews just means faithful Jews who had not yet heard of the way of salvation in Jesus. So when they heard this sound, well, obviously it must have been pretty loud, this enormous sound. Well, a crowd came together, and they came together in bewilderment, uh, shocked, because 
each one heard their own language being spoken. That's why they were shocked. Utterly amazed, verse 7, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language, they asked. Now skip to verse 12 after the list of the countries. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much to drink. Uh, although Peter refutes this suggestion almost straight away. We get to this next week when he gets up and speaks to the crowd and says, well, it's only nine in the morning. Well, it's actually not impossible to be drunk at nine in the morning. You can be drunk at nine in the morning, but it's a little bit unlikely. Okay. So this coming of the Holy Spirit on God's people, individuals, on each of them, is something the Old Testament does look forward to. And you can follow up. I've given you some references in your outline there uh, from Jeremiah, Ezekiel and so on and Joel. And, and Peter especially, when he speaks in the second half of the chapter, picks up on the fulfilment of Joel chapter 2. Again, we'll get to that next week though. So this is something the Old Testament looked forward to. So from this day on then, this fulfilling of God's, the promises of God in Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Joel, the Holy Spirit comes to reside permanently in the believer. Paul talks about it as a seal, God's seal on each believer. Let, let's read a little passage uh, from Ephesians chapter uh, 1. I, I won't read the second passage, we'll get to that actually when I pray at the end. But Ephesians 1, 1 verse three, uh, 13 says, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So here's our question we want to ask then. How are we to receive the Spirit? Should we expect a Pentecost-type experience? Well, unfortunately, answers to this question have caused some unnecessary confusion over the years. Uh, and at times it's been dangerous teaching as well. When I was a teenager at high school, I'd just become a Christian... And a, and a Christian teacher at school taught uh, that the baptism of the Spirit, in other words, me receiving the Spirit, that's what it means, would come after conversion. He, he said that the evidence of the Spirit in my life would be that I'd then speak in tongues. So that he, he was saying that I'd become a Christian, I'd convert, true, great, that's great, but now I needed to wait for the Spirit to come in my life. And evidence for that would be that I would speak in tongues. Now, he and others came to this conclusion by citing Acts chapter 2, but also by citing Acts chapter 8, the Samaritan believers. So what I'd like to do, I'd like to spend just a moment or two thinking about those two passages and see, well, why did the Samaritans, for example, receive the Spirit after they believed? And why also did these, in Acts, these Christians in Acts chapter 2, uh, the 120 receive the Spirit after they believed. So let's think about that for a moment and I think they're, in, they're important questions. Okay, well, the Samaritans first heard the gospel through Philip. We'll probably have a closer look at this probably next year, I reckon, uh, when we, we do a chunk of Acts for the next sort of six weeks and then we'll go again sometime next year. But Philip, Philip left Jerusalem because of the persecution that broke out after Stephen's stoning so the Samaritans' Christian experience, according to 8 verse 12, and I've got it up here actually, look at 8 verse 12, we've read it before, but when they believed, 
Philip, uh, sorry, but when they believed, Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptised, both men and women. Uh, so according to the Samaritans' Christian experience uh, in verse 12, was that they heard the gospel, believed and were baptised, but they didn't receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going we're gonna to ask why. Now, verse 16 is an incredible verse. What does Luke mean when he says that the Samaritans had simply been baptised into the name of the Lord Jesus. Were they inadequately taught? Uh, did Philip miss a few bits? And that's why Peter and John had to come to, out to Samaria to, to uh, give them the Spirit, to pray for them, place their hands on them, and then they receive the Spirit? Should we expect a, a two-stage process when we receive the Spirit? Uh, become a Christian and then receive the Holy Spirit? Is that what happened is what happened at Samaria uh, the precedent for Christians well the answer is no but we'll get to that in a minute just so I'm clear uh, is this the normal pattern those sort of questions now to answer this question what we need to do we've got to think a little bit so I hope you're ready to think right stay with me we need to take a step back and look at these verses and look at the bigger picture and ask a really important question about understanding acts so here's this really important question if Luke's purpose is to show a normal pattern of Christian experience, why doesn't he show us a consistent pattern? That's the question we want to ask. Let me think about that for a moment. If Luke's purpose is to show a normal pattern of Christian experience, then why doesn't he show a consistent pattern? See, there are so many different experiences in Acts as we read through. They're not consistent. So it's difficult to choose just one and say, well, that's the norm and others aren't. So what will help us here is to understand the conversion of these Samaritan believers in their historical, political and religious context that we find them in. As you might remember, the, the division between Judea and Samaria goes back a long way. They didn't like each other. Jews hated the Samaritans, right? Uh, at the moment, the poor old Victorians, not many people like Victorians right now, but that's got nothing on what's going on here, the historical context of that. So what God does then, by delaying the Samaritans receiving the Spirit, what he does, he actually, God acknowledges the historical division, but he also ends it. Let's see how he ends it. The Jew-Samaritan division is, is not to be part of the church. There will be no such thing as a Jewish church and a Samaritan church. It's not going to happen. That's not what being a Christian's about. Division in a church. So the Jewish church had to recognise that, that just as God saved them, so he would save the Samaritans in the same way. Peter and John's visit was nothing to do with Philip preaching badly or teaching badly. Peter and John's visit gave the Samaritans the tick of approval and broke down that barrier. The Samaritans would receive the spirit from Jerusalem's church leaders, their hands, and Peter and John would go back to Jerusalem and let the believers know of the sincerity of their conversion. And the Samaritans, well, they would know that they received the same spirit in the same way as the Jerusalem church received it. Exactly the same. And that was really important. They would get the tick of approval from Jerusalem, a united church. Now, back in Acts chapter 2, well, historical context is really important again, isn't it? So since the, you see, since the apostles believed before 
Jesus had ascended into heaven and poured out the Spirit, they could not receive the Spirit at the time of believing, could they? they remember, they had to wait. You see, the circumstances are unique. Their experience is unique. Those experiences can't, for that reason, be treated as the norm. So we should not, therefore, expect our experience to be like the experience of the 120 believers in Acts 2 or the Samaritans in Acts 8, but actually more like the 3,000 that become Christians at the end of Acts chapter 2. See, like those 3,000, we live post-Pentecost. These 3,000 who repent, they accept the message of forgiveness of sins in Jesus, they're baptised and receive the Holy Spirit. Nothing extra, nothing extra you have to do. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. you receive the Holy Spirit. There's no two stages. Uh, just like we read in Ephesians chapter 1, they believe the gospel and receive the Spirit. Which, friends, that is the most, that's the most miraculous thing to happen to anyone. That you're saved by God. He said there's a great danger in this second blessing teaching, uh, as it's been called, whereby someone is converted and then they must wait for the blessing of the Holy Spirit. Please don't believe it. It's not true. It's not what the Bible teaches. The great danger I actually felt firsthand as a 14-year-old, and it was from my teacher in high school. You see, it caused me to doubt my conversion. Am I really saved? Because I hadn't experienced this additional experience of the Holy Spirit that he was saying I should wait for. And then I'd be a real Christian, he'd say. And so I doubted. But it's also, it's not just individual assurance that that can be affected by such false teaching. It causes divisions in the church, doesn't it? So there's the, well, there's there's the us and them mentality. There's the complete Christian and there's the, as opposed to the incomplete Christian. Friends, as we read the Bible, we need to distinguish between what are descriptions of what happened and what are prescriptions about what should happen. We'll think about that for a minute. Very often, the Bible, the biblical writers, they'll tell us of a particular event, not because they're the norm, no, 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 but precisely because they're out of the ordinary. That's why we're told about them, because they're spectacular and and, and amazing and, and, and extraordinary. So, a careful Bible reader what we'll do is we'll therefore understand the difference between what is descriptive. So, for example, Acts. Acts is descriptive, by and large. Uh, it's a history of the early church. And we've got to see the difference between what's prescriptive and what's, uh, sorry, a descriptive and what's prescriptive. In other words, what uh, one of Paul's letters, they're full of instructions about what we ought to be living like and this is what it looks like and so forth. So, I think not understanding the difference between between those two things was actually the very mistake my teacher made, this Christian teacher back in, when I was 14. All right, well, in a minute we have, we'll have a bit of a time of questions and, and comments, uh, but let me close by just encouraging you with these words of Jesus and uh, also the words of, of John the Apostle. They're a comforting invitation of Jesus, the Word of God in plain English as well, in our mother tongue, um, as the Wycliffe founder said, is the greatest missionary of all. Jesus said, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within. 
And John writes, by this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. See, when we follow Jesus, when we believe in him, there's no two stages. When we believe in him, we're supernaturally empowered by God's Spirit. He helps us to live a, live a life that, that Jesus would like us to live. We're refreshed and recharged by living water. With God's Spirit in you, what does supernaturally empowered living look like? I wonder what it looks like. If you're a Christian person, you follow Jesus, you have the Spirit of God in you. Now, what does that look like in your life? What does it look like at school, at work, uh, at church? What does it look like to have the Spirit in us? We'll think more about this as we go along. But it's a good question to ask right now. If you've come to Jesus, if you believe in Him, you have the Spirit of God in you, you're marked with a seal, well, let's pray that we live with an awareness of God's Spirit living within. How about we pray? And then um, what I'm going to do, though, I'm going to pray using the words from uh, Ephesians chapter 3. And I'll just go back a bit for those. Okay. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that out of your glorious riches, you may strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner being. We pray that so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith and we pray that we would be rooted and established in love, that we may have power together with all of God's, all of your uh, holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Had a few uh, questions this morning, and you might want to ask a question tonight.